Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash television, paypal.me slash television, or on Cash App at TSB Television. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another live edition of Miked Up Sports, the show that goes in depth with the people who build our sports community. If you're watching us live on Facebook, thanks for joining us. And if you're following along on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're glad you can join us there as well. My guest is making a return to coaching after a brief hiatus, Kashin Alexander, an assistant coach for James Madison University. You can see she's already set up in Virginia. She made stops at Concordia, St. Paul, North Dakota State, if I remember correctly, Florida Atlantic. Kashin, you've been coaching for a long time, and I'm sure you're happy to be back. Although I have to ask you, how surreal is it that your return to coaching pairs you up with a former Big Ten rival in Samantha Perhalis? <laughs> you know, very interesting. Um, it's actually kind of funny. We joke about it a lot. Um, but yeah, it's kind of crazy, uh, the small world that we are in. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Um, you know, she takes over the point guards. I've got the guards. So it's really cool that we're able to kind of work together now. What was that first conversation like when James Madison made the announcement, you got the offer to join the team? And I'm sure Samantha and yourself are going, wait a second, <laughs> we were going against each other all these years, and now we're going to be on the same team for once. Well, I'm pretty sure she knew a little bit before then. Um, I actually came down here for a visit, but our head coach, Shauna Regan, um, actually talked to her about me in general um, before all of that actually happened. But um, it was, like you said, it was really cool. It was fun. Um, and just kind of like, we're both competitive. We still are as coaches. Um, and so now we're able to like fuse our competitiveness, which I don't know how that's going to go as far as for other teams are concerned. <laughs> but um, it's definitely going to be quite interesting. Hey, it's their problem, not yours. This is very true. <laughs> And I should point out it's Samantha Perhalis Holmes for anyone who's following who might be a GMU fan so that they don't come after me. I did notice that, that she has yeah. a hyphen to her name now, which speaks to how long we've been doing this. <laughs> and you've been in this sport for a long time as a player at Benilde St. Margaret's then Iowa. I know you played professionally for a time. You took the semi-pro route. So you have been, like I've done joined it at the hip. Yeah, you've been joined at the hip with basketball seemingly forever. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if you came out of the womb hooping. <laughs> but I don't know what your plans were, what you thought, what your thought, what your vision was when you took it up back in high school and you were making a name for yourself. But is it crazy to think how long you've been involved with this sport and how long you continue seeing yourself to stay in basketball? Yeah, actually, I mean, when I first started, I didn't even think of the college route, which is kind of weird to think like it wasn't even on my radar. Um, it wasn't until maybe seventh grade where I was like, hmm, <laughs> you know, like it kind of started to like creep in. And then it really wasn't until high school that I started to like, OK, this this might be something I want to do as far as college is concerned. Um, and then coaching wasn't even in my mind until Coach Bluter put it in my mind. Um, that was about sophomore year. Um, 
And so kind of to think where I am now is a whirlwind to think of how far I've come and how long I've been doing this. It doesn't feel like that long, but it is that long. So yeah. Long enough that you're now a mother. Yes, I am. <laughs> and your daughter is what, eight months, if I'm correct? Soon to be this week. Yeah. Eight months. Okay. So, well, I don't know what your trajectory will look like by then. So I'm thinking about 15 years from now, I'll be covering her at games. And let, although the, with your track, maybe you're doing the smart thing. James Madison, Florida Atlantic. I've noticed uh, you're staying to the coast, at least recently, or off to the East right Coast. Now. So you can be as far away from me as possible so that I don't have to pester your daughter with uh, annoying basketball questions, right? You know, what I, it, I was just actually talking to my mom yesterday about this. I'm like, it's crazy not knowing you know, what she's going to pique an interest in. Like, we have no clue. Like, is it going to be sports? Is it going to be academics? Is it going to be drawing art? Like, is she going to sing? Like, you have no idea what she's going to do. And it's just kind of crazy to think that, like, you just don't know. Um, I mean, I would love her to play sports by all means, but if she doesn't, she doesn't. It's fine by me. Well, I can appreciate that approach. And I've always said, even if you do play sports, and do it all, or if, if you have an interest in it, because you only get to do this one time. Yep. So this is an oral history podcast. You gave us a glimpse of how basketball is taking you on this path. You didn't see coming all those years ago, but every story has a beginning. So Kashin, do you recall the first moment or memory that got you hooked on the sport of basketball? Um. Yes, I which is going to be really weird. Um, there are no I, wrong answers or weird ones. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> it so might be weird I for you, actually, but not for us. Let me see. I'm trying to think of the year. I was in second grade, third grade, second or third grade. And one day I came home and I said, Mom, um, I know what I want for Easter. And she said, What do you mean? And I said, Yeah, I know what I want for Easter. I want a basketball. And she was like, What? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I want a basketball in my Easter basket. And so my mom went out. She got me a Easter basket, candy and a basketball, wrapped it all up in the Easter basket and gave it to me. And I didn't even eat the candy. I just took the ball out of the, <laughs> took the ball out of the basket and just went dribbling around the neighborhood. Like why? I still don't know. I don't know. I wasn't watching basketball, so I don't really know why I did that. Um, but my mom's like, she'll never forget the day I came home and asked for a basketball. And then fourth grade hit, I got transferred to a new school and I went to gym class and my gym teacher was like, you need to sign up for sports. I was like, sports? <laughs> She's like, yeah, you need to sign up for sports. So I'm like, all right. So I signed up for basketball um, and we needed a coach. So I signed my mom up and my mom had no idea what to do. So that night we went to the library and we got like basketball books because she had no idea. She'd never played basketball. She played netball. So that's not the same rules. Um, and so she read the books to get ready for practice. And my mom actually taught me to jump stop. So she was my first coach, which is crazy to think. But yeah, I signed my mom up. She had no idea. Typical Kashin move, but you know. <laughs> 
typical because she moves. So throughout your life, you sign your mother up for things that she doesn't you know, see coming. I just, I would say it's more of a leadership role. Like I just take initiative. Let's roll with that one. <laughs> well, that would explain why you've been coaching for so long. There you go. Coaching just part of that leadership role that you've put on. I will say, I do find it amusing that you're a second grader. Easter should be all about candy. You skipped the candy and went right to basketball. <laughs> I don't know. My mom still doesn't know. Like, she's like, I don't know if you saw it somewhere. You saw kids playing. She's like, I don't know where you got it from. All of a sudden, you just came in my room and said, I know what I want for Easter. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's kind of when basketball was born. Was that the only time or were there more times where you skipped the candy and went right to the basketball or whatever gift you, know, you got? You know, said that even when I was like a, like a toddler that I always had like a ball on my hip. Like I never like, I mean, it was any kind of ball, didn't matter what it was. But like she said, I always had a ball. Like that was my favorite toy. It was like any kind of ball. So, I mean, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But again, basketball really only surfaced when I asked for it. So you and your mother go to the library. That's another sign of the times. Libraries are still around, of course, but you can pull up YouTube videos yeah, or just lot, about anything. YouTube didn't exist back then. So the library or instructional videos, that's where you had to go. Yeah. So what was that learning process like going to the library, reading books about basketball, studying moves? You said that the very first move you learned was that jump stop, the stop and pop, all of that. And what was that learning curve like having to uh, hit up the books? Well, I mean, in fourth grade, you have no clue what's anything. So you've got a bunch of fourth graders running around, like just running with the ball. Like, I mean, we have no idea what's happening. So like, I think my mom, obviously she had to, she had to learn the rules of basketball in general. And then after that, um we had problems with traveling like any other kid would and so that's when she implemented the jump stop so like I just I remember being in practice and she's like all right guys we're gonna learn something new and she's like okay this is called the jump stop and so she did it and then like all literally all we did was take two dribbles and stop pass it to our teammate take two dribbles and stop and pass it to our teammate like we weren't trying to score we were literally just doing this and then like, I remember going into our next game and like doing the jump stop. So like, I mean, my mom taught me the jump stop, very fundamentally sound, mind you, but she did. She's very proud of that, actually. I would be too, if I knew nothing about the sport and was able to teach a move that cuts down on traveling calls. You're very proud. She's she's like, oh, I taught you everything you know. Yeah, okay, mom. <laughs> it's okay. You taught me the jump stop. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so after you got the jump stop moved down as you made your way through, when did you sense that basketball might be a pathway? We know, of course, you went to Benilde St. Margaret's, but leading up from fourth grade up to the point where you were able to play varsity, what was that experience like? Um, I got hooked up with Drew Woods um, and well, Angie first, Angie Woods, which is his wife. I got hooked up with her first and then Drew took over that girls team after that because um, Angie ended up getting the coaching job at Concordia at the time. So I got hooked up with that whole family and that's kind of what 
I, I would say confidently that they are what shaped me into who I was as a college athlete. Um, they kind of pushed me to want more as far as in the basketball aspect. They kind of boosted my confidence. You know, when people were telling me, oh, she should go division three, they're like, no. <laughs> so like they kind of kind of guided me in that aspect. And, you know, I thank them for that. I mean, I'm still very close with the family. Um, and they touched a lot of basketball in, in Minnesota. So, but yeah, that's kind of what started. I got hooked up with them. That would be eighth grade, maybe seventh grade. I lied, seventh grade. Um, and that kind of, like I said, shaped everything as far as how my high school went, AAU, the whole nine. On that note, who were your role models in the sport of basketball once you knew the rules, once you understood how the sport worked, and I presume you started watching more games, who were the people you looked up to? It sound weird, but I was a big Magic Johnson fan. That's where 32 came from in high school. So um, I like nobody could tell me anything. I was going to go to USC. I was going to wear number 32 like Monica, and nobody was going to tell me anything different. Okay, That's just how it was going to go. Um, like Monica Wright from Love yes, and Basketball. Okay, absolutely. That's where that. And then exactly. you were going to. And let me guess. You all then you planned a, a cameo, just like the Los Angeles Sparks did at the end Listen, of the film. That's exactly what was going to happen. So nobody was going to tell me anything different. That's how my life was going to go. Um, but again, I was really young when that happened. But still, um, I thought you would have started loved, a film studio by now, like Magic did. I loved Magic Johnson. I loved his game. I thought he was a complete player. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, I was not a point guard at that point, but at the same time, I don't know. It was just something about his game, his leadership that kind of drew me to him. Um, so I would say that was probably my role model at the time. A lot of people always said that I reminded them, me of, eh, I reminded them of Cynthia Cooper um, back then. So that was also one. And another USC product. <laughs> probably because you were, had these visions of going to USC, although Magic oh. went to Michigan State. So I'm wondering how that happened. Like Magic went to Michigan State. You wanted to go to USC. You know, it's all right. Colleges is what it is. I just loved them. It was great. Okay. So just USC was your preference at the time. I'm yeah, like, I just wait wanted a second. To be Monica Wright. Okay. You <laughs> wanted. And then lo and behold, we got a Monica Wright in the WNBA for years yes. who was coaching or at least was coaching at Virginia. Yep. Yeah, she's actually um, in the offices in the NBA. I can't, exa I can't remember. That's right. Her. That's right. Yeah, yeah. She was on the links when I got drafted there. So we created a relationship there. I remember that yeah, Monica was on the links for a few years and I'm sure mm -hmm. she's heard all the love and basketball jokes. I guess I'm sure she has. I was going to say with, with your name, Kashin, I'm guessing you were scot-free and nobody could really come up with anything clever, right? Because mm, the machine. That's, oh, really that's right. That. Well, you were a machine though. So at least the, when you were a player, it worked. <laughs> I do remember somewhat watching you at Gophers games and yeah, machine sounds about right. It fits. So what led you to Benilde St. Margaret's of course, we, we know that you forged a nice uh, career there in high school, but what led you to 
go to this private school in St. Louis Park? So I was at Ascension and I was always, I've always been at a private school up until obviously high school. And I was deciding on where I wanted to go. I was still going to go private regardless. Um, and the, <laughs> the only reason why I went to Benilde to begin with was because they didn't have uniforms. I was tired of uniforms. I was so over it. So when trying to look for a high school that was private, obviously everybody went to De La Salle from my grade school, like 98% of everybody went to De La Salle, but I didn't want to wear any more uniforms. I was over it. And so um, Benio also was a very good school as far as college was concerned. And so my mom was like all on board with that. And I was like, oh, great. They don't wear uniforms. I am down. Let's go. So yeah, very simple. <laughs> I remember that because one of my past guests from a couple of years ago, Olivia Antilla, that name might sound familiar to you, mm -hmm. said the same thing. Yep. Didn't have to wear uniforms. Yeah, she actually, if I'm not mistaken, she was at Ascension too, just after me. But yeah, she was at Ascension as well. And I'm pretty sure I was just over it. <laughs> so yeah, another four years of uniforms just was not in the cards for me. Not to mention you wore uniforms enough uh, as a basketball athlete, right? I was done. I wanted some freedom of some sort. So, and I, it was great. Were there any other sports you took up? Was basketball your primary one? Just what volleyball. else did you do? Volleyball. You were on volleyball. Yes, I was. I played volleyball all the way up until I graduated. Um, I actually, briefly, um, the, our volleyball coaches were trying to get me to play AU volleyball because um, they felt like I could have had a career collegiately in volleyball. And honestly, the only thing that stopped me from doing that is at the time, there was no after for volleyball um, after you were done with college. Whereas basketball, there were so many different avenues. And so I, that's why I stuck with basketball. But I love volleyball. I watch volleyball. I would play volleyball right now <laughs> if there was a league of some sort. I love volleyball. I became a big volleyball fan actually in college when I would, we got free tickets being a U of M student. I went to Minnesota and they would give you free tickets to go watch the women's volleyball team. And mm. they've been a powerhouse for a long time, maybe no titles, but always a final four contender. And I've been hooked. Oh, fun since. Fact. I have a fun fact for you. If I did not get drafted or play overseas, I was actually going to play volleyball for my fifth year at Iowa. You know, I, you could have been like Kelly Roisland was in Minnesota who played basketball, yeah. then played volleyball her fifth year. Uh, I think you made the right choice, though, if you got the chance I to play so. professionally. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think so. see, if you were a bit closer, I'd be like, hey, well, again, you're a college coach, so got to be careful. But I'm like, oh, would you? Hey, oh, it's like it'd be nice to have someone join me in the booth because I've called some volleyball games and. I know how the sport works, but some of the more obscure signals from officials, I'm like, wait, OK, what was that? <laughs> Yeah. And unlike bat, you see basketball. I, I'm, think pretty I would. Person. I was going to say basketball. I think you've seen me around. Like I know pretty much all the standard signals, so yeah. I know what traveling is and charge, block, all of that. Volleyball, I'm still learning, and uh, it, there's aren't as many contacts like there are in basketball. So yeah. it's been a tougher learning curve, but that's <laughs> a sport I've enjoyed following for the last few years. <laughs> 
I, you know what, knowing how athletic you were, I think you would have had a fine volleyball career too, if that's what you wanted, but we'll never know. No, we will not. <laughs> but if there are any semi-pro or pro-am leagues out oh, there, yeah. James Mattis or anyone out there in Virginia, if you've got a pro-am league, because Kashin's coaching, so she doesn't have to worry about. Come holla at me. Right. Doesn't have to worry about contact sports. Yeah, she'd do it. And I know this. She played pro-am basketball while she was coaching, so yep. she can take it on. I did it uh, in Florida, too. So if Okay. You know, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I'm like, if there's a way for you to play, you will take it up. Yeah. Dade County Bulls. Yes, I did. So what do you recall from your time on the AAU circuits in basketball? So imagine you played AAU during the offseason and Benilde St. Margaret's. Benilde had a lot of success. They won a state championship in 2006. You were a Miss Basketball finalist. So what do you remember from those years and how do you think that developed your game? I mean, honestly speaking, those four years of my life really shaped me, like I said, into the basketball player that I was. Um, AAU is amazing. I mean, it's definitely different now. We just go say that. Um, but AAU was amazing. Playing different people outside of your state, um, just getting different athletes, getting a glimpse at different athletes. Um, but yeah, AAU was awesome. I mean, if I could go back and play AAU right now, I would. I love AAU was so much fun. And I'm pretty sure every basketball player will probably say that. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, high school, I came to do one thing and that was win a state championship and I was going to win too, but I got injured my senior year. So, you know what? It's a little, I feel, still feel a little kind of way about that, but we're just going to leave it where it is. At. I never knew you were such a disappointment. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Man. Hey, hey, you got one Kashin, and yeah. you can attest to this and I, hear this quite a bit even with professional league scott van pelt on his midnight sports centers says this all the time it's hard to win one championship so multiple is nice but they said even if you win one, one right even if you win one be proud of it because it is really hard to win one title this is true there's many people who went through their whole high school career and don't have one so I know I'm just, like I said, I feel <laughs> I was coming back for that second one. Okay. And we were there too. So, but you know what it is. High school is the way high school goes and college is the way college goes. And now I'd say the parody, I'm sure we'll talk a little more about this as we move on to that, but the parody at high school and college, at least. I can only speak for Minnesota. You probably have a better sense of the rest of the country, but I've said like at the college level, at the high school level, you've got maybe four or five teams that all have a legitimate chance of winning. It wasn't like the years of UConn dominating everything and you sure. could kind of, you kind of had a sense of how that would play out. So Not anymore. I, I wouldn't hold that. I wouldn't hold that against you, Kashin, if you couldn't win a second title, because there are a lot of good teams out there. Yes, I know. But if you don't mind, what do you remember from that state tournament run? Because you did get to win one in 2006, and I think Benil got another one a few years later. And 
who knows, maybe they'll end up back there again in 3A, hard to say. But they have a quite the player on their team, but <laughs> hey, I'm sure they might be all right. Okay, so you, you know about Olivia Olson. <laughs> of course I do. She's, a, she's at my alma mater. I can't, I mean... I know anybody that comes from my alma mater, no matter what. I'm just curious. I'm always curious to see who's coming up next out of Benilde. And I've always kept a tab on them regardless. So, I mean, I I wish I could get back. I'm going to try to at some point. Um, I'll try, I'm going to try to get back anyways, just because I, there's some teachers that are still there. And now that I have a daughter, I'm sure they would love to meet her and different things like that. So I'm going to try to get back to Benilde for sure. But back to your question. Yes. Um, state tournament. I knew before the season started that we had a very legitimate chance with the team that we had. Um, once we got to the state tournament, I told our coach, we're not leaving here without a ring. And I told my mom that too. I said, I ain't leaving here without a ring. <laughs> we, done, we done did too much for me to leave here without a ring. And then the night before we played Marshall for the championship game, um, I was like probably the most focused I think I've ever been that I can remember at least um, going into that game of like, no, we're, this is it. And, you know, they had a really good player in Macy. Um, so it was definitely going to be a tough game, but I felt like we still had enough Um to come out with a win. It wasn't like something where I was like, oh man, like this is gonna be a tough one. You know what I mean? Like it it was something where I'm like, okay, we have a very legitimate chance to win this. It's not gonna, we won't have to play the best we've ever played. You know what I mean? Like one of those kind of games, um, but we still would have to play well. Um, but yeah, I, I knew. And it actually didn't hit me for a while that we won. It's kind of a very surreal moment when you win. It's like, wow, we just won. We're state champion like three weeks later <laughs> weirdest thing ever <laughs> but yeah it was it was dope and our fans like oh my gosh our school i don't think i'll ever forget that i will never forget that bus loads of kids and teachers and our entire school went now mind you i know everybody's school gets out but like our whole school went like <laughs> and i'll never forget that as long as i live I can attest to that. No matter the sport, no matter the team, when you get to state, people show up. And I think now with the higher spotlight, the higher exposure Minnesota has, mm -hmm. you know, when Paige Beckers makes state, and if Olivia Olson gets that chance, I wouldn't be surprised if more casual fans pay a visit. Right. Of course, yeah, I know you, you're limited as far as how much you can talk about, but you mentioned AAU and I got to see Olivia Olson play for the first time. And I could see why, yeah, alumni would pay attention to all of that. But I mean, it's like cool. I said, it, it's, it's, like... it's cool. It's cool to see that folks like yourself maybe didn't get that national spotlight, but Minnesota, I mean, people have said, we were slept on maybe a little too long because in your graduating class, you had Angel Robinson, Alyssa Carroll, and I Macy look Michelson, at Michelson. Like we had a lot of Janessa Wolf who went to Penn State. We had a lot of people in that class. <laughs> like I think almost everybody in the 
if not all, I'd have to go back and look, but in the Miss Basketball was going to the Big Ten, like BCS schools. So it was like BCS in a hole, not even just women's basketball, even girls basketball, even um, boys basketball is also slept on, I feel like. But now with Jalen and different people, Chet, like, okay, we start, people are starting to realize like, okay, Minnesota got some players. Page, you know. Mm-hmm. And I could have told them they had players. I covered Taylor Hill a few players. times. Yes, we've been Never. had players, but David. you know, it's fine. Now people are realizing that Minnesota <laughs> is a basketball state and we've yes. got basketball players there. You were one of them. And you were talking about playing Marshall, another team that's a perennial in 3A. It, let's not let's not sleep on your team because there was yourself. I'm trying to remember who else was in there. Janica Hall. You had a couple. Yeah, because you had a teammate play in the All-Star Series with you. That much I remember. Yeah, I'm but trying to go ahead. Chanika Hall. Latoya. You know, Latoya Williams. She was on my, Latoya Williams. She was yes. my class. And then you had Chanika Hall, who was 06. And then we had a bunch of, like, really decent players. Like, <laughs> we had some good players on that team. So, I mean, like, like I said, I think Benilde at the time was not known for basketball at all. And so when we did go, I think that's why we had such an outpour of support because it hadn't been done before. And then after we, I feel like we broke that barrier. It was like, okay, now Benio had become like a, okay, okay, let's see what they got this year kind of thing. Um, And then they won it again with my cousin who was on the team there at the time. Um, Atisha, Atisha, I remember her. And Khadijah Shumpert, like it was that group. Antilla was there. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've actually, since my group, we've actually had a running, like at least a couple good players on that team. Um, So, yeah, I think, like I said, I try to keep up as much as I can because, you know, once a red night, always a red night. So um, plus I always like the, that De La Salle-Benil rivalry is on the, it's never going to die. So I'm always checking in. All right. Well, depending on how the winds blow, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll see your daughter in a BSM uniform someday. Maybe. You maybe. never know. <laughs> or she'll find a school in Iowa <laughs> and become the next Caitlin Clark. <laughs> maybe. Only, only time will tell. <laughs> Right, and there are a lot of factors we tease, of course. So, speaking of college, do you recall when you got your first offer, how many offers you received, and what led you to Iowa, and when it hits you that, hey, people are paying attention to me, and they want me to play for their school? I imagine as an athlete growing up who learned the jump stop at an early age and took this love of basketball that started in Easter I imagine that was a surreal moment for you to get, I don't know how many offers you received, but to know that coaches valued what you did. Um, I got my first questionnaire, which is a letter from college in eighth grade. That's kind of when, like I told you that it started to become like a reality, like, Oh, wait a minute now. Um, How many offers I ended up with (laughs) way too many to count. I don't really remember. Um, I, I know I just had to early on, I, you know, like I said, 
Drew and Angie were always telling me like, listen, if that's not where you want to go, then tell them, you know what I mean? Um, and then I had a top five and then I went on my visits and I only got to the second one before I committed to Iowa. It was like, I went to Iowa first, um, which was the Iowa State weekend, which is their big weekend. So any recruits they have on Iowa State weekend is their number one recruits. So I just gave y'all some insight. Um, <laughs> but um, I came on that weekend. It was a great weekend, obviously. Um, and then the next weekend I went to, you know, where did I go? Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, they had a coach there that I really liked at the time. And after leaving that, I would told my mom, cancel everything else. I was done. Now, mind you, I don't know if I was actually like just over it, you know, kind of like I was over the uniforms. I don't know if I was just like over it. Like I'm done talking to coaches. I'm done doing this. I going to Iowa or I really just really couldn't see myself anywhere else. It could have been a combination of both. Um, but yeah, I chose Iowa because one, it was close to home in the sense of now my mom moved with me anyways, but it was close to, I'd be able to go back to Minnesota and people who had watched me play could watch me play every year, if that makes sense. Um, and it just felt right. Like it felt like home. It felt good when I came on campus. I went there a few times, but um, the fans were amazing. Just everybody was nice. Like it just, it just felt right. Um, and that's kind of how, I guess, my recruiting, I went with my gut, with my feeling. It wasn't really much about winning or not winning because I knew that wherever I went, I was going to make sure we won. So it didn't matter <laughs> where I went. Um, I just didn't want to sit on the bench. That was really much it. Like I wanted to be able to go somewhere where I could help them win. I didn't want to go somewhere that I'd be sitting on a bench for two, three years. Like, no, no, thank you. I wanted to be able to go in, make an impact and create a name for myself, which I think I did. I would say so, even if uh, you gave my alma mater, Minnesota, some bumps along the way, but I won't hold that against you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I, actually, I told this to my guest yesterday, Kashid, I would make a terrible fan now because I've covered the sport for so long that I end up cheering for everybody. And so like at high school and college, like, oh, all right, maybe everyone can get a play in. <laughs> I know it doesn't work like that, but you follow these athletes and they start following you and then you realize, okay, people actually think you know what you're talking about. Uh, right. <laughs> I I fooled them for 15 years. I don't know how I've done it, but uh, no, you, you you just over time. I think maybe it's because I'm not a parent, so I don't have a, any skin in this game. I don't have to worry mm -hmm. about how anyone's performance will affect me. And so I think it's a stress reliever. I'm like, I get to go and have fun. And like you said, you made a name for yourself. Even if you couldn't get that back-to-back -back state title what do you do you enjoy most about that high school AU experience as we noted before you got to play in a couple of all-star games you got to help change history at Benilde St. Margaret's that's it right there that's your answer <laughs> I like being in the record books what can I say so I like to be like you know because regardless of anything players that come after you that continue etc you're always going to be known for that team right like you're always going to be on that team that hadn't won a state championship in like 
60 years or something like that. You're always going to be on that team. So no matter what happens after you, you're always going to be that team. So that I think drove my state championship a little bit more because it, I wanted to win one anyways. Um, but at the same time, I also wanted to leave something at Benilde and not just become like just another player that went past. Cause you know, before me was Stevie Sites, I think her name was. Um, and she had scored all kinds of points. I mean, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. But there was one thing that was missing, and that was that state championship. And so when I got there, I was like, I can become another thousand point scorer. I can become another this, that third all conference player. But there's one thing that hasn't been done yet, and that's the state championship. Which they have two of now. Yep. And who knows? Maybe they'll get more. We'll have to see, of course. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm not a psychic. I have no crystal ball. So the transition to Iowa, you mentioned you wanted to go to a school. You wanted to join a team where you wouldn't come off the bench. Of course, those who know your story are aware of some of the obstacles you had to navigate to get to where you were in Iowa. You played the early part of the season in your freshman year, but then became ineligible to play. Of course, you bounced back and that was never an issue after that. But what do you recall from the transition and how tough was it knowing you had to sit out the second half of your freshman year when you wanted to be an impact player? Oh, I was about to transfer. Oh, I was, I was, out of there like and I don't think many people know that I was I was transferring to the University of Miami I was out of there and um at the time um coach Gage coach Shannon Gage she met with me I swear like every week like she had they knew <laughs> that I was leaning towards leaving because she was meeting with me every week we were going to lunch meeting at the dining hall just talking and I told her that I was I don't think I want to be here anymore. And she, I'll never forget it. She said, Kashin, you're not a quitter. You don't want people at Iowa to remember you as that. And I was like, damn it, you got me. That was it. That's all she had to say because she was right. Like, nah. So what I am going to do <laughs> is I'm now going to make sure you remember me for what I want you to remember me for. And that also drove me from that day forward, because again, I didn't want to be that player, you know, like, oh, she couldn't cut it at Iowa. So she left or whatever the case is, which definitely was not the case, mind you, there was some other things that had happened. Um, but yeah, it just, that was it. That's all she had to say. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and I stayed obviously. What did you learn in that interim when you were ineligible to play? I'm sure that's tough for any athlete to go through. But what did you learn in that time where you had to sit out that you think helped you in the subsequent years where you were able to suit up and remind everyone that who Kashin Alexander really is? Um, 
I think the biggest off court lesson, because that it was an off court situation um, for me was don't sit back and allow people to run your life. So what ended up happening was I had a professor who was not too keen on athletes. Felt like we had it the easy way, you know, that, that whole scenario. Um, and there was a miscommunication in our academics area. Um, and I assumed that they were gonna do what they said they were gonna do and I didn't follow up on my end. Um, and that was kind of led down the road of that. Um, but that day forward, it kind of, you know, pushed me to be an active participant in my own life. And just because someone's supposed to do their job doesn't mean you don't follow up and make sure that it's done. Um, and so after that, I was going up to professors. I was doing this, I was doing that. I didn't care if they got emails. I didn't care if they already heard it three times, you were gonna hear it a fourth, just to make sure that things were done. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's my life and I'm the one that's gonna you know, get in trouble or have to reap the issues later. Um, so yeah, I think that's what kind of taught me and it actually helped me in the real world because now, even though we all have our specific jobs, I always follow up just to make sure that it's done or it's getting done or whatever the case is, because again, got to make sure. You know what, Kashin? I don't know if you'll pick up on this reference or not, but if we ever get to a point where we have a Starship Enterprise, like in Star Trek, I would endorse you to be a member of that crew because you're always about communication and leadership. Yeah. <laughs> I guess going back to those days when you picked That's up that it. basket, like you said, you would uh, you took your mother on all these adventures. That leadership, that leader within you, I think, adventure bubbled. All right. that one. <laughs> well, that leader within you, I'd say, yeah. that leader within you emerged from that ordeal when you had to sit out. Of course. The following year, you didn't sit out. You were eligible. In fact, you started every game. And if I remember right, you might have been one of two guards to average a double-double and became the first woman in the Big Ten to record two triple-doubles in the same season. Guards aren't necessarily known for rebounding. Nope. What was your secret or your strategy that made you such an eloquent and effective rebounder. We know you could score and you certainly scored a lot, but knowing that a lot of guards maybe don't get down there, they don't get after rebounds the way you did. What was your tip, your strategy to stand out from guards you were going against? I actually really just like rebounding to start. Um, <laughs> well, that helps, I suppose. <laughs> you can't win the game without the ball. So I don't know. I just, I've always had a knack for rebounding to begin with. Obviously that knack grew. Um, and I do think there is some skill in rebounding. A lot of people are like, Oh, like they're just, no, yes, it is hard work at the same time as having a relentlessness about yourself. Um, and then obviously there is skill because like being able to read where the ball is going to come off the rim, et cetera, is a skill. So, um, but I've always just, like I said, gravitated to rebounding. Um, and again, yeah, every guards just don't rebound. They just don't, they leave it to the bigs. And I might be a big at heart. Maybe that's what it is. Like maybe I just didn't grow as much as I should have. And I really should have been a big at heart. 
because I kind of play big, but I don't know. I've always just loved rebounding. You weren't that small, though. No, not necessarily, but compared like, to, I'm not playing the four or five position, you know, like. Right, right. But your listed height's five nine. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it's not like you were really no. small down there. No, not at all. Definitely didn't play small, that's for sure. No, you didn't. And well, you led the team in assists too of that sophomore season. So you like to do a little bit of everything, actually. I do, Magic Johnson. <laughs> And I've seen some players who might be undersized. I remember this kid from Hopkins, uh, Lele Chocolis is her name. She's five foot six, but she wasn't afraid to go down there with the bigs and get after rebounds. Maybe didn't always win them, but she had that mm -hmm. grit determination. And as you were saying, not every guard wants to get after rebounds, but you make a very sound point strategically. If you can get those old boards, it helps extend possessions. Or if you can get down there, grab it, you limit the other team to one possession or one shot. So like you said, it does play an influence in ball control. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. How do you think that sophomore season developed your confidence? Because you went from this volatile moment where you thought of playing for another school. Of course, you stayed the course at Iowa. But to stay there, to get through and find a solution to what caused you to be ineligible in the first place. So to bounce back from that and find yourself setting history in the big 10 to get two triple doubles in a season, to be the specialist you were in scoring and rebounds. How did that develop your confidence as a player and as a leader? Um, hmm, that's a good one. Um, it was definitely a, an interesting time because I went from not playing to starting. So that summer was an intense summer for me. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Uh, my coaches prepared me for that because we had our goal meeting at the end of the season and they told me what they see for me the next season, which was my sophomore year and how, you know, this is what they wanted me to do. Um, and at the time I was like, "Woo, all right. <laughs> you know, I'm up for a challenge. Um, and so it was a very taxing summer um not just mentally but on your body as well like you said like going from being a defensive stopper which is what I was that first semester um to playing significant minutes you have to get your body in shape you, you, it's just you just have to um and so for me it was like I said taxing but I had a big group of seniors that year we had five seniors um, and they were huge in the leadership role of welcoming, welcoming this sophomore into the starting lineup um, and, you know, pushing me into that, you know, like, and just having confidence in me to make the right decisions and allowing me to make mistakes. Does that make sense? Like, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're a freshman or whenever the case is, because really I was a freshman at sophomore year because I didn't get a full year. Um, if you feel every time you make a mistake that, you know, people are going to be looking at you any kind of way, or you're going to get pulled from the game, you're going to make more mistakes. So allowing whoever that is to make mistakes 
and learn through those mistakes is going to help them later. And my seniors and my coaches were able to allow me to do that so that when we're hitting January, February, March, that mistake that I just made one play ago is way out of my head. Um, so I would give a lot of credit to my seniors at the time because they were huge for me. And the following two years, more of the same in terms of your double-double threats. Following that sophomore campaign where you found yourself starting, you got on a few lists, and then junior, senior year, you were first team all Big Ten. You added more points and rebounds and ended your career second in school history in double-doubles, which for a guard I think is impressive. How did you build off that sophomore year and get to the success you had as a junior and senior? Well, I'm going to say this very nicely. Um, after, after sophomore year, <laughs> it was a wrap for everybody <laughs> because I was like, my confidence had skyrocketed. Like it, it, there was nothing that I couldn't do in my mind at that time. And so for me, it was like, okay, now, I want to lead the big 10 in rebounding. Now I would like my aspirations went like all over the place. Um, and I was very close to winning a big 10 title, but we're, we're not going to talk about that. Samantha Perhalis, she knows much about that, but we're going to leave that one where it's at. We don't even talk about that in this office. Mind you, we don't even talk about the game. Oh, that so reason. that, so that's off limits between off the limits. two of you. We don't even talk about it. Nope. <laughs> so, oh, now we brought it up. Of course. Oh, just we just we leave it where that's at but she might have um, a different opinion i uh, <laughs> um i think that it was like i said it was a wrap for everybody <laughs> like the big 10 was like when did she graduate like they were pretty much over me so um but yeah after that sophomore year it just like took off um yeah, I, there, there's really nothing else I can say about that as far as my confidence was through the roof. And when you believe you can do it, then you can. And you did. I am curious, though, Kasheen, and you can include your fellow coach and companion in this if you'd like. Throughout your college experience, who did you enjoy playing alongside with? And who was the toughest player to go against in college? Okay, alongside with, I loved my like guard group of me, Jamie Prinny and Camille Wallin. I, I don't, those three, us three, I don't know what it was, our chemistry, like, it's like we knew where each other were gonna be. Like, it was great, let's just say that. Um, and you knew, like, I knew where Camille was gonna get her shots. I knew where Jamie wanted her shots, where she was gonna take those shots. I knew she was gonna take it before she even took it. Like, so I feel like those, that group, that was my group. Um, hardest person I played against. Hardest or the person I didn't like, which one? Because <laughs> you, you could take this any way you like because you, know, you got to play against, I'm sure you crossed paths with a lot of athletes in your college career. Some turned pro, of course, we know you turned okay. pro too, but anyone, because I mean, your fellow individually, coaching, Samantha went pro too for a little while. So I'd yes, like, yeah, did. you take this. Individual you, you, player yes. would definitely have to be Samantha Browley. I 
hated playing them because of that between her and Janta Lavender, ball screens, oh God. Like I would much rather just guard you by myself. Having to go around Jantel Lavender screens, ball screens is like, and Samantha, listen, she would pick that ball screen apart because she is a very good passer. So it's like, you gotta, she's a threat. And then on top of that, you gotta try to stop Jantel Lavender. Listen, Iowa always had to come up with some very interesting game schemes for that game. The team that I hated playing the most, Michigan State. Mm. Mm. Nope. <laughs> Couldn't stand playing them. Not at all. Hated it. I hated guarding um, Lori White. Her name is drawing a blank right now, but Keen. Oh, what is, oh, she, that one, boy, yeah. Michigan State as a whole team, I did not like playing. I was always beat up after that game. Always. Never failed. And let's not forget, in those couple of years when you had to go against Ohio State, you also had to deal with Taylor Hill. Oh, yes. That, that was also in there. Yeah, they're, throw that in there, too. So you had Sammy P and Gentle Lavender and Taylor Hill, who led the Big Ten. I never got to guard Taylor because I was too busy guarding Sam. I would have liked to, but I couldn't. So... Yeah. I'm just saying as if Jantel and Sammy weren't miserable enough, you had to deal with Taylor Hill too. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just didn't like playing Michigan state because they were entirely too aggressive for my liking. And then on top of that, I knew I was going to be beat up and needed ice after that game. And the Ohio state game, I just couldn't stand them because all they did was talk trash the entire game and it bothered me. So there's that. Oh, geez. All the stuff you're sharing now, I'm going, oh, you and Samantha are going to have a lot of laughs. Oh, now. oh, right, right. I'm saying now, but just over the season, the two of you are, Listen, I could see. I'm putting this out there for the world to know. I will put our staff against any staff in the country five on five. And we're winning. That's <laughs> five on five. Nobody is touching our staff. I am not in a position to disagree. <laughs> I oh, could see I mean, a coaching scrimmage. <laughs> Oh, that's nothing, Mike. Nothing. <laughs> like I said, you and Samantha are going to have a lot of fun this season, oh, just yes, going back and forth, and, and the players are going to be like, "What is wrong with you two? Oh, listen, they—they they, they, they probably they already think, know to some extent, they but they—they they they, 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 I was going to say they know a little bit, but wait until the season starts. No, they think they know. The problem with this generation is they think they know everything. And they think just because we're in our 30s that they can listen. <laughs> I'll take me and Sam two on two versus anybody and we're winning. So they're in for a rude awakening once they get back. Hey, you've got the crafty point guard at Sam P. You've got the, the gritty rebounder in yourself. Anyone Absolutely. who has to go against a two-on-two, they are going to be in for a long night. And I'm putting night. it on social media. I've already told them this before. Once you get beat, I'm putting it on social media because you seem to think that you guys can touch us. No, it's not. It's just not going to happen. It's going to be great, and I'm so ready to look forward to it. As we said earlier, you were playing semi-pro through your coaching career, so you've got I mean, some. Don't moves. get me wrong. I did just have a kid. Yeah. But <laughs> hey, Dewana Bonner had twins, and look what she's doing. This is true. And 
And you know what? I'll throw in a plug for Samantha Perhalis too, because I remember vaguely, I think she appeared in the Rosie O'Donnell show for her football acumen. She, Samantha Perhalis is a hoop, a baller, okay? In, in, in any aspect. So I was like, you know what? I'll put in a plug for her too. So if anybody wants, if anybody thinks they can take you on, you know, they might have, you know, they might be able to give you a run, but you're not going to make it easy. No, that's for sure. So as you were wrapping up your college career with all of these accolades, again, you've ended your senior year as first team all Big Ten, unanimous with coaches and media. So it was clear people knew who you were. You got the tryout with the Lynx. You were drafted, I think, in the third round. Mm -hmm. What kind of options were you considering in terms of a career? Obviously, you got a chance to play professionally, but as you were coaching, coaching, that's right, Lisa. I, well, I'm just curious how that all started. So playing, coaching, yes, what were you considering as you wrapped up that senior year? Um, I knew that I was going to play professionally. Um, I did not know that it was going to last as short as it did. Um, I thought that I'd be playing a little bit longer before I got into the coaching ranks. Um, I just happened to get an opportunity to coach a lot sooner than I thought. Um, and then I told myself, you know what, let me try it. If I don't like it, I can always go back to playing. I never went back to playing. So there we are. Well, you said Lisa Bluter was the woman responsible for getting you into coaching. What do you recall if there was a conversation or a moment where she said, you should give it a shot. And here you are all these years later, still doing it. But what was it about Lisa that got you on board? So if you ask Lisa to this day, she will tell you that they used me as like a playbook. So like they would, if they, hey, what they'd be in their little coaches meeting. And again, I was a player at the time. So I, you know, I know how coaches talk now. So like next thing I know, they'd be like, Cash, come here. And I come over there, like, what's that play that we ran last year that so and so? And I'm like, oh, that was blue. Like I was so I was. My, my IQ was so high that I could play any position on the floor at any given time on the drop of a hat. Like my IQ was that high that we could be in the middle of a game and coaches like, hey, we need to run blue. Kashin, can you play the four? All right. <laughs> like I knew everybody's position. I knew every play. I knew the team's plays as they was coming down the court. I'm yelling out the plays to the team like, so I think that's when Coach Bluter started to realize, like, wait, she's got a different eye for the game than just, you know, just a regular player. Um, and so she told me, have I ever thought about coaching? And I was like, no, not really. And she's like, you really should think about it. And then that's when I started, like, collecting scouts and going through them and looking at things a little bit differently. Um, I think that was my junior year. Um, and then, yeah, I just kind of started going into that. And it fits for sure. <laughs> if it didn't you wouldn't still be doing it right exactly but before you got into coaching again you went the professional route like you said shorter career than you thought but still got to play pro and you're yep. still involved in the game so what do you recall you got the tryout with the links after you were drafted in 2011 uh, didn't make the cut of course but still got a taste of what that was like then you played for the flying foxes out in vienna austria so even though your professional career didn't last long, I imagine it's a career you won't forget because 
it, took you, it took you around the world and you got to at least for a little bit uh share the space with Maya Moore and Lindsay Whalen, Simone Augustus, Rebecca Brunson, and Angel Robinson, of course, was there drafted the same year. And I thought if the league were a little bit bigger, she would have had a good chance and maybe you would have had too, but that's in the past. I, but since I don't have the experience myself, I'm curious, what was your life as a professional basketball athlete? Oh, it was great. I mean, it's everything you can think of. I mean, it's, it's work. That's the one thing that you got to shift your mind from. From going to being a college athlete to a professional athlete, you are at a job. It's not like I was in for a rude awakening um, when I went overseas and there was three Americans on the team. And one of the Americans went through a shooting slump and they cut her, they fired and got somebody else in. And I was like, like it just it blew my mind that like she got into a shooting slump like this is normal you know what I mean no 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 they're paying you to make buckets they are paying you to win them games and if you can't do that you're going home and they'll find somebody else to do it so that was like a rude awakening right away that I'm not in college anymore um luckily I didn't have an issue but like it just was a rude awakening that you've got to change your mindset out of that it's not college and you can't like you got to get in the gym you got to do whatever you need to do to get back on like it's not the same what do you recall what did you enjoy most about playing all the way out in vienna with this group known as the flying foxes trying all the different foods i'm like I've always been like that. I love cultures and different things like that. So me and my roommate, Nicole, we were trying different restaurants. I mean, we were exploring all over the place. We even drove to a whole different city. It's like we were doing all kinds of stuff. Like, so I think that was my favorite part. Now, mind you, you have two a days. So you work out in the morning and you have practice at night. But besides all that, like you're out exploring like I was never in our room we were never in the room <laughs> we were always in our apartment we were always out exploring different shops foods all kind of stuff and that's an important point because I think some uh, a lot of players I've talked to told me how stark a difference it is because in college and high school you're used to having others guide you in terms of scheduling and when you turn pro it's all incumbent on you. So that is a huge uh, jump in responsibility. It sounds like you handled it. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like the same jump you have from high school, in a sense, uh, like academically. Like in high school, you got class after class after class, and then you go home, right? You're in one building. Where at college, like, if you don't go to class, it's your, it's your problem. <laughs> like, you know, like, if you don't go to class, then you just don't go to class. No one's making you go to class. It's kind of the same scenario when you make the jump to the pros, just differently. Of course, uh, you still were active as a player because you took up the semi-pro circuit. You mentioned down in Florida with the Dade County Bulls. Uh, you played for this team called the Minnesota Black Ice, which is how I got to rediscover you and a few other players who I hadn't seen for a while or never got a chance oh, to a see. To, to, well, Tanisha Scott, who was a few years before me, never got to see her play. Ashley Ellis-Milan, who... 
you had to go against, I think, for a little while. So you didn't uh, yeah. have uh, <laughs> Danielle Ellison was on that team. We had, um, oh my goodness, I'm drawing blanks on names today, but she played. Brianna Sally. Yes. Oh, she was like my high school nemesis back in the day when she was at St. Francis because we were in the same conference. Oh, yes. I just loved playing with everybody because you like so many people you hated playing against. And it's like now you're on the team together. Like, I love that team. That team was great. So what led you to continue the semi-pro route? Your professional career was over sooner than you thought, but you still wanted to suit up and play. So for someone like you, just what inspired you to keep playing, even though you didn't have to? Well, I love the sport. So that's number one, but I miss the team camaraderie. Like don't I play in practice every practice. So like I'm playing against since at Concordia, like I've been playing against our girls since the first day I stepped foot into coaching. So I've always been playing basketball, but I miss the team aspects. Like you don't have a team when you're playing against your team. So like I missed the team aspect of having a team and going against somebody else and that kind of scenario. Um, so that's kind of actually what got me into it to begin with. And for those who might not be familiar with the Summit Pro Circuit, what did you enjoy most about it? And what was different playing for a group like the Black Eyes compared to playing with the Flying Foxes? There were so many players that I had played against in college that I was now either playing with or still playing against. Um, and so it was just, I mean, you're different athletes after college. You're just different. So I enjoyed that aspect of it. And again, I loved our Minnesota Black Eyes just for the simple fact of the names we had on there. Like our team was stacked. So um, it was like all of the Minnesota greats. Like it was like, just call us, instead of calling us the Black Eyes, just call us the Minnesota greats. Because we had like, I felt like everybody on that team. Um, but yeah, that's, I just really enjoyed playing with, like I said, playing with that team and then also playing against players that I had played against before. Kind of wish we'd have a semi-pro team again because I enjoyed uh, getting a chance to relive history a little bit and see some of those older names. Mm -hmm. As you noted just a minute ago, your coaching career started at Concordia. Then mm -hmm. you made the jump to Division One. You're at, I think, yet your third school. But what was that process like applying for coaching jobs and what led you to start at Concordia and just how did that evolve from there? Well, I haven't applied for a coaching job yet. Oh, <laughs> so there's, you know that. what? It's because you're the machine. Well, I, listen, coaching basketball is a small world in general, as a player, as a coach, it's a small world. So people ask people, <laughs> when they're looking for people to fill out their staff. Like, hey, do you know anyone? Do you have any suggestions, people that they trust, et cetera. So usually that's how that goes. Um, the chances of you applying to a division one school and getting it cold calling is not likely. Um, but Concordia fast called me. He called me. He's like, hey, I know you just came back. Like, what do you think about coaching? I have an opening because Drew and Angie had left to go Division One, And he's like, you know, he had watched me grow up, obviously, um, there and wanted to know if I want to get into coaching. 
So he called me there and then Marn Walseth at North Dakota State called me. Um, she had just got the job and she knew of me because she was an assistant coach at Penn State when I was at Iowa. And so she called me there um, and then FAU, she knew me from the road. I didn't really know her like that, but she just knew of me. Um, and then JMU, somebody gave him my name. So there's that. And with the JMU aspect of it, you took a year off, if I'm correct, between Florida Atlantic and JMU. So I presume the birth of your child might have had something to do with it. But if not, that's fine, too. That's is why I set up these podcasts so that you can tell the story. But what led you to take a year off? And well, we, we know that someone gave a reference for you. And being that sponge you were in Iowa, I'm sure word gets around fast that, hey, here's a kid who soaks up all the plays. But that, that year sabbatical, the year-long sabbatical, what did you take from taking some time off? I actually was deciding if I wanted to stay in the coaching or not. I'm not sure many people know that, but I was considering getting out of it um, for many reasons, but one being the college world can be harsh. And I'm a player's coach first. And so like, I had gotten to a point where I felt like I cared too much about the players and college athletics didn't, if that makes sense. And so I was like, well, maybe I need to go down a level. Maybe I need to go to high school. I was trying to figure out where I fit because like, I care about winning, but I don't care about winning all at the same time. Like during 18 to 22, this is the most important time of your life. And my goal is to take you from little girls when you get here and make you into a woman that can be positive in our community, right? So after you leave college, you're gonna go on to start your own family. You're gonna go on to start your own careers, et cetera. And I feel like it's my job to get you into a transition so that you're able to do that effectively and while playing basketball. But I also felt like sometimes basketball in the college world comes before that. And I, I'm not a fan, never have been. And so I was trying to figure out, I was talking to a lot of coaches trying to figure out, okay, how do I, maneuver this how do I manage this how do I you know and a lot of people just said it really comes down to who you work for and that's when I started thinking okay if I do get back into this I have to be very picky with who I work for and that's kind of what stopped a lot of things because I just wanted to make sure that who I worked for this next time was important and on top of that I was having a kid like that's even more so important now like, because if you thought I put our kids, like our players before, oh, you weren't going to tell me nothing about my daughter. <laughs> so I had to make sure that I was working under the right person. Um, and of course, COVID hit. And I was not, I was going to try to get it back into it before last year. But then I found out I was pregnant, COVID hit. And I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> I'm not risking myself or my unborn child's life for that. I, that can wait another year. Um, so then my daughter was born on Christmas Eve of 2020, um, six weeks early. <laughs> and then I started kind of talking to coaches and telling them, okay, you know what? I think I'm ready, you know? And then 
Culture Regan call. Well, now that the secret's out about you being a sponge, it sounds like you've got, I find it fascinating that you've never really had to do any cold calls. All these references from people you've impacted, whether they had to go against you or not. I think that speaks volumes to the character and the personality, all of that. I'm curious, Kashin, as a coach, you've had a lot of experience as an assistant at a D2 school, now your third D1 school. How do you prepare athletes to go out and compete and also mentor them? You mentioned 18 to 22, and you can speak to this. Mm-hmm. Highly formative years in a person's development. So what role do you play to make sure that not only are they better athletes, but they come out of it as better citizens? I always tell my players that I'm your life coach first. I'm your life coach first, and then I'm your basketball coach. And I feel like that's what's important to me is like, okay, basketball is cool. But at the same time, what I've learned is that if we can take care of your life, your basketball is just going to follow with it. Um, majority of the time when players are having issues is because their life's in shambles. <laughs> and if the two can match up, you'll be fine. Um, and caring about that person over the athlete first. And that is something that I pride myself on doing at all times. And I think that's because like, as a player, like you've seen so many different aspects, right? And you're, it's shaped me into being the coach that I am. It's like, nah, (laughs) I ain't never gonna have no kid feel like that. Or I'm never gonna wanna see a kid go through that or whatever the case is. So it's kind of like shaped me into the coach that I am um, now. And yeah, like I have, tons of players even till now that I still talk to that call me for advice, um, et cetera. Like it just, then that's what I want. I don't, I don't want you to graduate and (laughs) I don't know about your life. It's weird. Um, But yeah, so I, I, I try to give them real advice and not just like coaching advice. It's like, nah, like I'm not, this is the real world. And we have, there are, these kids nowadays have real issues. So like (laughs) back in the day, we weren't, I mean, we were like, I say that in the craziest mindset, but we were, all we cared about was getting home before the lights turned off. We didn't, this, the stuff that they deal with now is nowhere close to what we had to deal with. Um, And so giving them real advice and always having an open door policy. I know a lot of coaches say that, but I really have an open door policy. And the, t- the only thing I tell them is, listen, I got to tell coach if a few things happen. One, you get arrested. Sorry, he going to find out anyways. So I, <laughs> I can't tell you, I, it is what it is. If there's any kind of abuse of any sort, sorry, that's the rule. I can't, I, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, and so I kind of go on that aspect of like, as long as you ain't doing nothing illegal, as long as there's been no abuse of any sorts, you can come talk to me about anything. And, you know, I think majority of my kids have done that. Um, and they appreciate that. And on that note, what are the challenges that come with you as a coach in this atmosphere where anything you say or do can end up on social media, both good and bad with the highlight mixtapes and everything? So what challenges does that present for you and what do you enjoy most about getting an opportunity to 
guide this next generation, which you've been doing for years, whether it was North Dakota State, Florida Atlantic, the athletes you'll work with at GMU, or even the athletes you got to work with at Concordia. What do you, you know, get out funny. of that? I, <laughs> this new age of like, you can, uh, there, now there are a lot of coaches who are having some difficulty. We've seen that in the news, et cetera. Me, I have no worries whatsoever. They can have a camera, hidden camera anytime. It doesn't bother me because I don't talk to my kids crazy. Because I don't like when people talk to me crazy. So <laughs> I don't, I, I, that's just not me. Like I might yell or any, something like that, but I'm more of a, all right, come here, come here. Let's figure this out because you ain't getting it. So what's going on? Like, you know, I'm more of a that, I'm more of a cheerleader in a sense. Like, again, you know, I'm going to get in your behind if you're not doing what I know you're supposed to be doing. Um, but at the same time, like, I have no problem and I'm never going to have an issue with that because I just, I don't believe in it. Never have. Um, there's just, no, nah, that's just not me. So I, I, it doesn't bother me. I just, I am hoping and praying that coaches adapt to the times that we are in because there are some coaches that still have not. Um, and it's just a different type of kid. It's not the same. When I was playing, you say anything you want. <laughs> it didn't matter. Like we just didn't care, but it's not the same anymore. Um, but for me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Kashin, I can respect that approach where you said you can throw a camera on me. You could follow me 24 seven and you're not going to come up with any dirt. Maybe we might find out some other secret talent of yours. Actually, that would probably be the Maybe. biggest uh, bombshell. <laughs> we know you can do volleyball and basketball. I, I, I'm sure it's like, then we'll find, no, watch, I we'll just, find out you can do, you can take up rugby or something. I just love all my kids. That's it. So but yeah. I, I think what you're saying, it, and maybe it speaks to, you know, the motherhood role, and even just your approach that I think you alluded to this already. There's a lot more to this than basketball. Yes. You right. want to win. Yes. You'd like to make the NCAA tournament who doesn't, but there's going to be a world after basketball. We saw that in the last year or so with the pandemic, George Floyd, and all of these conversations that are still ongoing. And so I can appreciate your mindset that, yes, it's fun to be here. I enjoy this and I want to make sure we do what we can to win. But I think you have a clear understanding that at some point, no one's going to remember the points you scored or the titles you won. Well, you haven't forgotten your state title, but you won You're it. Right. So, <laughs> so, but I you're think you're going to remember the relationships you built. Yeah, and yes. Like, it just, you, you know, know, like I said, you're going to remember right. a lot of the time your memories on the court, off the court. I mean, let's think about it. If you have great memories on the court, but you have terrible memories off the court, which one do you think is going to matter more? And that's what I was getting at. At some point, all of your stats, I, I tell players this all the time that are going through the recruiting process now. I've said, no matter what, you are more than your stat sheet. You're more than your record. So if you don't get to a power five D1, that's fine. If you end up in an NAIA school, hey, this is your story. So like, you'll never hear me asking, oh, what school are you going to? Like, I just don't care. Like, this is your story my success isn't based on what happens to you i just right. i'm just glad i get to play a part in sharing these but i think that's an important approach to have as you said some coaches are some coaches are struggling to adapt to that 
Um, others have picked up on it, but you know, if you end up as a head coach someday, who knows? I think that's going to be important for any kids you might approach as a coach, as a recruit that, Hey, if you play for me, you're going to play hard. You're going to work hard, but you're also going to feel welcome. Right. I mean, that's why I got into coaching in the first place. It was to change lives um, by doing, or I guess by the same way that changed my life, which is basketball. So um, I wanted to be able to give back. And I feel like that's the only way for me that I felt like I could do that to the best of my ability, um, which again is like, I basketball changed my life in different ways, but there are also people who basketball has changed their entire life. Like I'm talking, they would be nowhere without it. Like, you know, like, and if you can get one, two, you know, it'll be worth it. And for me, it's, I just want to make an impact one way or another. Positively though. <laughs> well, I think you're doing that splendidly. Otherwise you wouldn't be getting references even when you took that year off. And I can certainly understand why you did. And when you announced that you were going to James Madison, I guess I had no idea you had left FAU, but when I heard you got a new job, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a sheen. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you can't keep her away for long. There are a few questions I'd like to ask of my guests uh, just to have a little fun with this podcast series. So throughout your playing career, what was the most exciting moment and the most embarrassing moment? Exciting. Ooh, my goodness. That's a hard one because there's a lot of them. Um, it would, it would, it would probably have to be my triple doubles because that that was crazy. So I, it, that that might be it because then I became the triple double machine. So like it was cool. I that that would be my greatest moment I would think yeah that's probably it mm -hmm. um I still remember who I played what my stat line was all of that never forget it um but and what was the other one what was my most embarrassing so like the most the silliest moment you had as a player where you look back and you're wondering how the heck did that happen Embarrassing might have been more so of the, the whole ineligible thing. I don't know if I've had like a, you know, like a silly moment where shooting the, at the wrong end of the basket or anything like that. I don't think I've had any of those. Thank God. Um, no, I don't think I've had any of those. Mm -mm. Well, you were a world oiled machine. You, you would, you were machine the machine for all those years. So I guess you know Maybe. what you you were too good to have a silly moment. You were too good to have an air ball or a fall or something like that. I don't think I, yeah, I don't think so. Not that I've top of my head though. So it wasn't too bad of an embarrassing, silly moment. Not even when you had to go against Samantha Perhalis or Lavender or Michigan State. Well, mm -mm. You, you know what? I, not many can claim that. I've had players who come on and said they scored in the wrong basket. My yeah, guest yesterday said like she <laughs> collided with the water cooler and spilled all over the floor and they had to stop mm -mm. the game. But no. well, but you know what? Because you could do everything. You could dish the ball. You could rebound. You could score, I guess. You had control of everything. So you really weren't going to do anything silly. You would never end up on the not top 10 list. Oh, no, on no, Sports no, Center. no, not, not at all. You were too not good for all. that. 
That wasn't me. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't have one as a coach. So, <laughs> because like you said, if something happens, everyone's Maybe gonna... I do, but I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> no, like I could, in a scrimmage or, or something, if something silly happens when you're scrimmaging, I'm like, well, I just hope the cameras aren't rolling at that because... Uh, <laughs> oh, they're always rolling. Oh, that's right for game film. Yeah. I've had a few. I've had more as coach than I have as a player, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but if you but, can't remember any, I'd say that's a good sign that you had yeah, a I've had nice more as, as a, a coach than a, I don't think I've had any as a player, but I've had crazy ones as coaches. But hey, absolutely. like like a scrimmage that went awry or something, or no, I was in a drill and. Um... <laughs> Oh, you know what? I'm going to be open because it's fine. Um, so I was at North Dakota State um, and we were in practice and I was leaving that day to go back to Minneapolis that weekend and I was going to go get my hair done. Um, and so during the practice, there's one of our players who was like a hockey player, like she was a hockey player at one time. So she's like super aggressive, like overly aggressive because, you know, hockey players. And we were doing offensive rebounding drill. So like they would shot will go up from one of our managers and she was like supposed to get around me to get offensive rebound, which I enjoyed the drill anyways. Um, and I think that's probably what made the drill even worse because they knew that I wasn't going to just give them something easy. So anyways, she swung and my whole wig shifted. And almost fell off, actually, but I grabbed it. She had the offensive rebound because I wasn't going to play with her at that point. But the entire, the entire practice, everybody stopped. And, like, we're on the floor dying laughing because, again, like, you knew that it had moved, it shifted because it didn't even look right anymore. And so, like, the, the whole practice was in shambles because everybody was on the floor laughing. And I was laughing, hell. Like, it was crazy. And of course it was on film, but I had our manager delete it. So it's fine. So yeah, that was my, <laughs> luckily for me, it did not, if it would have fell on the floor, I would have never came back to practice. That it, there's a difference between your wig shifting and your wig falling off on the floor. That's two, two totally different things, Mike. Okay. I'm telling you, believe me when I say it. So I, I caught a lucky break. The moral of the story for any prospective coaches who like to get their hair done, make sure you're not wearing a wig before drill. Make sure your wig is on tight. Or it's on tight. There you go. I'll have to take your word for it because I, I well, hair is not my, something I have to worry about. Me. I call Ooh. myself the young Jean-Luc Picard because my hair went at an early age and it's like, oh, well. Hey. I, I guess I can't keep everything. <laughs> yeah. Something had to give in order for me to become this basketball celebrity. So. There you go. Can't <laughs> oh, have it could, all, Mike. You, can't you, have it all. you had your manager deleted. I'm like, oh, could you imagine if that got out? Deleted. <laughs> your players would be laughing all over again. Yeah, no. I've seen a couple ones um, since then of like players whose wigs have fallen off on the floor that's gone into social media. No, I beelined it from practice to that tape. Delete. Thank you. 
So we just have to hope it doesn't happen in a game. No, that will never happen. No, absolutely. <laughs> well, you wouldn't play, but it's like if something happened, if you had a wig and it fell off or even shifted, like because uh, if it's a, during a game, you can't delete that film because everything is streamed now. Oh, God. The struggle. <laughs> well, at least I'll be, oh, I could only imagine if that happened, you were playing. Oh, that would be horrifying. <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> but the entire and i'm sure you've worked with a lot of play, uh, players of color so i'm sure they they were laughing because they could identify with it but Not i could just laughing. see the entire practice stopping because everyone couldn't stop laughing i'm like everybody that was on the floor if you ever have a reunion oh i i could only imagine the stories everyone will just start snickering again just thinking about it yep <laughs> remember when kashid almost lost her hair yep even me i'm going oh no and the reason why it, not at you because I, I i saw the film good hair a while back and so i know like some of the stuff that goes into it but i covered a drill team event once with rondo days would host it and somebody was going at her choreography so hard that her weave fell off mm. and it fell off and we saw it, it was lying on the field mm. at griffin stadium in oh. st paul and we're like did that fall just happen it fell off well, no one could doubt her work ethic. I mean, she was going at it so hard it fell off. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Uh, I, I, yeah. Well, <laughs> all I could say is, I guess we know you take your hair seriously. So if it happens in a drill, <laughs> first thing you're doing at GMU, hey, get rid of this film. Get rid of it. Uh, no, that will never. I don't want to be on Shafted a fool ever. No, that will never happen again. No, 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 no. I haven't even come close to that. That one and done for me. <laughs> well, what else was I going to ask? Oh, yeah. So we were kind of teasing you about this, but another thing I asked, and this is based on the breakdown guidebook that gets released every year, but what is an unusual thing about yourself that people wouldn't know if they met you for the first time? unusual unusual so like just a hobby or a talent or something you enjoy doing that people wouldn't necessarily expect baking i bake from scratch guess that would be it i actually know a few bakers who i've come across at the high school circuit. So what do you enjoy making from scratch? What are some recipes that you've uh, put together? I'm a dessert person, so I love all kinds of desserts. Cakes, cupcakes, cheesecakes, pound cakes, don't matter. Make a cheesecake's a little harder. It takes a little bit longer. It's like eight hours plus, but um, yeah, I like to bake. So does that make you the, the, the first choice when players have like gatherings at a coach's oh, yeah. residence? Absolutely. Everyone wants to go to your place? Absolutely. My girls have already decided they're coming to my house for Thanksgiving and I was here all of three days. So <laughs> yeah. And how do you make sure they behave themselves? Because you know, nutrition and eating right, I mean, that is huge in the sport of basketball. And here you oh, are yes. making these desserts. How do you... you don't make a lot of them. That's what you don't do. Yeah. <laughs> So don't make too much. It's don't the make secret. too much of them, and not so often. Because I'm going, I, I like 
I'm sure it sounds like you really enjoy desserts, but it's like, man, you, how do you get, <laughs> you got to keep the players from overindulging and getting sluggish. <laughs> True. I'm like, you kind of put yourself in a quarter there, Kashi, with your affinity for desserts and trying to keep everyone fit. So uh, that they, they do can, enough running. They'll be all right. <laughs> so that they can get double doubles like you did. Yeah. yeah, like at 34 at all. And I, I forgot you were second in school history and rebounds for a guard. Yes. And so like, yeah, you, you probably had to stay away from those year. desserts. Yeah. I don't know. So, you know what, though? I, I smell a spinoff. I don't know what your plans are, but I could I smell like a YouTube series or something where you show everything. Maybe. <laughs> you, you know what? Then know. they can leave. Then, then people aren't swarming your house. Maybe I should. <laughs> for Thanksgiving. Something else I'd like to ask of my guests. With everything you've experienced as a coach, as a player, and some of the obstacles you had to get through, you, you, you're not afraid to share your story about how you had to sit out because you weren't ineligible to play and how that almost led you to go in a different direction, but you stayed the course. But with everything you've experienced, the highs of a state championship, first team all Big Ten, the lows, everything in between as a player and coach, what would you tell a younger version of yourself? Hmm. It's kind of hard because like, I would normally tell myself, don't let anybody change who you are, but younger me would never have done that anyways. So, which is partly why I ended up staying the course, you know what I mean? Um, I would more so just tell them sky's the limit. I think that might be the only thing is because I know me as a person. And even when I was younger, I was going to do what I was going to do regardless of what anybody thought. So I never cared as much in regards to what people thought. If I felt like it was the right thing to do, then that's what it was going to be. Um, so I never really had the peer pressure situations. That's never been a thing for me. Um, so I would really just say sky's the limit. Um, and you can be as good as you want to be. Christine, I've learned if there's anything, nothing else that I've taken from this podcast, I've learned that you are a stubborn, resolute individual. <laughs> because sure. if you're telling me, don't let others change you. And, and that was your attitude as a kid growing up picking up that basketball from Easter. <laughs> like once your mind is set on something, no oh, one's going to nobody's distract you. No, not at all. Once my mind is set on something like that state championship game, nobody was stopping me. I wasn't going <laughs> to, nobody. So yeah, I, I've always been like that. Once my mind is set on something, there's really nothing I can do, not yeah. do, I guess. You know, I bet that's why you got two triple doubles, because once you got that first one, I bet you told yourself, I'm going to do it again. That's it. Well, I can appreciate that. Someone would say the skies are lit where, hey, it wasn't perfect. And there were some bumps, mistakes along the way. I'm sure there might be some things you would do differently. But overall, yep. you're like, you know what? <laughs> There's nothing I would tell myself because I'm <laughs> people change, but. I guess in one respect, you've stayed the same. And that is no matter what you do. My mentality has, you, yeah. You, once you set your, I guess I'm going to quote back to the future, but if you set your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And that has been your attitude, I guess, this whole time. Yep. 
So whether it's coaching or motherhood, I bet when you decided I'm going to take that on, nothing was going to get in the way. Yep. You're the best mom out there. Well, as we finish up this conversation, what excites you about that journey? It's different than coaching because with coaching, you get your athletes for X amount of hours a week, X amount of hours a day, but you all get a break with your daughter. You don't get a break from that, but I know you've been excited. You've shared all of the milestones as she gets yeah. older. So what excites you about this new journey of motherhood and how that will perhaps influence you as a coach and as a leader once more? You know, it, it has changed me a little bit, like I said, because, you know, before you could say like, your players or like your kids, et cetera. But like, if you're not a mom, you don't really know what that means. And so like, I'm a little bit more compassionate to a lot of things because all of my players are someone's daughter. And I know how I would want my daughter to be treated. I know how, you know, just in general, how I would like someone to guide my daughter, et cetera. So that's helped me a lot um in regards to my players which i'm really excited about like i said because it, it, it does give you a different mental aspect it does um so i'm really excited about that like i said and i mean i i'm living in the moment with my daughter i really am and i'm taking everyone's advice and saying it, they grow up so fast okay i've heard it from everybody so i'm going to live in the moment i enjoy watching her little milestones i enjoy watching her figure out that she can grab a ball with two hands. I've, I enjoy just every little piece of just two days ago, she couldn't do that. And now look at her, you know, like, it's just, I think honestly, that might be the best part of motherhood right now is literally watching her grow and watching her figure it out and watching her, you know, decide one day she's going to roll over. And then the next day she's going to do it twice. And then like, you know, like, it's just, that's the best part to me is seeing her grow. I know you can't wait for all the milestones and moments that will come. I'm wondering though, if she decides I want to play basketball, are you going to drop a basketball in her Easter basket? Like your mother did for you? At where, what, however she wants it, she can have it. You want to go Easter with Christmas? I mean, like I said, her birthday is Christmas Eve. So you're going to see, but yeah, I, I, I will say this. Me and her will have a totally different conversation than me and my mom did. Well, you've got the jump stop down already. You're going to do it to your full capacity. I don't do anything just for fun. So if you want to be spelling bee champion, if you want to be cheerleader and go to the national tournament or whatever, or you want to be a basketball player, volleyball player, soccer player, I don't care. Whatever you want to do, we're going to do it to the best of our ability. We're not just going to do anything to half it. Like, no, we're not doing that. So whatever you decide to do, let's do it. So we're going to have a different conversation. Now, mind you, my mom didn't have to have that conversation because I led the whole thing. But and I don't think she really knew much about basketball or anything of that in that aspect. So it was a little different. But me, I'm fully into sports and all sports at that. So we will have a conversation if you're going to play sports, because I'm definitely not going to be that parent who's like, oh, I'm like, honey, maybe this ain't for you. You know what? It's okay. 
I'm not that parent. I'm I'm just not that parent. I'm not like I'm not lying to my kid. If you're not good at this, then we just shouldn't do it. Let's let's do something else. Like that's fine. Right. Let's find your gift. Or at the very least, if you're not good at it, what can you do to get better? Like you're not going yeah, but to there's you're some not going to sugarcoat. Ain't got it, Mike. Uh, that, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> like, it don't matter how hard you work at it. It just ain't in the cards for her. Okay. If it ain't in the cards, it ain't in the cards. And I'm okay with that. So let's find what is in the cards and let's work to that. Call me what you want, Mike, but I am definitely not one of those parents. No, no, I appreciate that (laughs) because I think it's important, especially (laughs) we've talked about everything they go through now and it's like, hey, you know, something. Mm. And I just, I'd say that because no one is an expert out of the womb. I know you probably were, but you having this thing for you probably were ready to go but i'm just saying i picked up on it quick but i was was an expert now so that's what i was leading at not like oh they can do anything but it's like hey if you're not good at something it it like gives you that moment to it's like okay maybe we try something else or how do we develop it so either way you pick up on a life lesson when it comes to building find our strength right building resilience and working through adversity all of that so mm-hmm. that's what i was getting at not like uh, yeah. because i have no idea what your daughter's going to be in but if it's basketball spelling bee if it's uh whatever I, right i have yeah. i've known some players that modeled uh maybe she's a business girl whatever it is i hey matter. tia it's albert good. became a businesswoman after basketball so you know what there's Journalism. Room for both. maybe she wants to do communications and be a sports analyst i don't doesn't matter Whatever you want to do. Hey, I could use, CNN. I'd be happy. I'd be happy to have her as a sports bro, like a broadcast Whatever she partner. Wants to do, if I'm still do. around. Now if I I'm, might have to pull one out of my mom's book. And if I don't know nothing about it, I might have to go figure it out. But well, if know. it if it's sports broadcasting, you just you can call me up anytime and be like, uh, Mike, my daughter wants to get into this. What do I do? You know, I actually thought about that at one point. If I wasn't gonna be a coach hey. i figured out i think i would be a very good color commentator if i do you, you still could you <laughs> so, still could yeah let, but, let's not let's not write you off just yet maybe not maybe not with your attitude no right not with your attitude because you're you're the kind of woman who will go after something 110 percent, no matter what it is i'm like mm. i'm not going to rule anything out yeah, I think I think I think I would be a joy to listen to, but who knows? <laughs> I bet you would. I'll 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 call up your former black eye Steve Bates to be like, you think she would make a good? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure uh, they have much to say. Oh, I'm sure they would. I'll leave you with this, uh, since you have the experience now, and again, I don't know if you have head coach site set or whatever you want to do, but. For anyone that is considering a path into coaching, whether it's high school, college, or the pros, because you know, the WNBA is around and it's not going anywhere, what advice would you offer to someone who's looking to get in that field? Everyone's path is different. So do not compare yourself to anybody else's path. That is only going to frustrate you and it's probably going to set you back. Like, you, like we were talking about earlier, Lindsay Whalen has a different path right? Like she went straight out of playing straight to a head coach BCS level. Okay. Everyone's different. I went division two and then went to division one. Like everybody has a different path. Some people go straight to division one. Some people have to go NAIA, JUCO, whatever. Don't let anybody tell you what your path is. Like don't let anybody do that. And I think that's where a lot of people, it stops them 
um, it's because they're worried about, oh, well, I should be here or I'm not doing this. You could be coaching high school basketball for 20 years and all of a sudden become a division one head coach overnight. Like just be good at what you're doing and people would notice you. Guaranteed. <laughs> so don't worry about anything else. Just worry about what you're doing and the position that you're in right now. And networking is big. Um, I definitely would say if you are not into college coaching at all, get into the AAU scene. And then get yourself into high school if you're not already. It's an easy way to network with coaches is AAU because we got to call you. <laughs> Sound advice. And I can say that from experience, not as a coach, but I got a chance to go on the AAU beat this year with my job at junior all-star you talk about networking oh man you get a lot of I, people I, I had about 500 followers or so from twitter but i would tweet game updates because mm -hmm. i'm going well i don't know anything about this so the best way to reach out and connect is you put out tweets you get in touch with the people that i do know and sure enough they find you any time a player sees a tweet about them or a coach you know, any parents so it led to a podcast actually i got to interview an athlete who's going to augustana mm -hmm. from the small town in huntley mm -hmm. and she goes to this co-op grenada huntley east chain really small town in southern minnesota so you never know who you're going to meet one of my good friends exactly. mia holly once told me uh, you meet a lot of people with this thing called basketball sure do <laughs> you're right aau is a great way to do it uh, i had a lot of fun getting to see a teams from all over the country in a couple of cases. So I've got some fans in Iowa now with their through the all Iowa attack program and some others. So you're right, AAU, a great way to network. And it was a good crash course for me. I mean, if it wasn't for AAU, I wouldn't have Olivia Olson on my broadcast radar uh, or all these other players that I didn't get a chance so to see last you get winter. Your hands in a lot of things, and they you a lot of players. You get to see a lot of people. It's just, it's just opens a lot of doors. Well, I called it for me a reunion tour because uh, I got to reconnect with so many players and parents and coaches that I've met through my high school coverage. So it was fun to uh, meet up with the old gang again, in, in some respects. And I can't wait to do it again. But. Uh, I'm just curious as we wrap this up, Kashid, what did Lisa have to say when you got into coaching, seeing what you've accomplished already and the journey you've been on? I know she's the one who suggested it, but have the two of you shared any uh, She's happy messages? about it. I mean, obviously she knew that I should be. I mean, Lisa's been in this thing a long time. She's definitely an OG in the coaching world. Um, so, I mean, I, she already knew um, that that would be my route before I guess I did. Um, so yeah, she just, I mean, we see, I see her on the road all the time, different things like that. I see all of them on the road. Um, so yeah, it's just really updating on life is when we see each other. Well, if she knew you had that spark and like you said, being one of the OGs, uh, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to protest. I presume it's like, Hey, if she thinks I you don't. can do it, <laughs> you're going to consider those words. And I guess uh, another aspect we've talked about, I know we've covered a lot, but not only did you get to reconnect with some of these folks on the semi-pro circuit, but I think of Iowa and all the Minnesota kids that went down there, yourself, 
you know, Camille Wally, Thera Taylor played there. Anna Draxton. Draxton, Chase Coley. Yep. A few years later, um, Maggie Sonato, or no, Ma Monica Sonato Monica. now. Right, Maggie's going to Minnesota, I think. Correct. Correct. Oh, my, like, oh, that's going to be fun <laughs> if they do stick around. A lot of kids, though, from the Gopher State. Mm -hmm. I, I'd like to think I don't have a pipeline. In I was, I'd, I'd like to think you played a part in that. Yeah, with, they got a pipeline. Uh, I, I, I think I remember, I don't recall, I think I might remember actually interviewing you once after a Gophers Hawkeyes game when I started covering the team on the beat and you mm -hmm. played well. I can't remember which game it was, but I think I remember you had a really big game. And so they brought you up into the press or press conference room. Probably I have my, I got my thousand points on, on the Gophers home court. So <laughs> you did. I oh, sure at did. Williams. So uh, that was only fitting, right? <laughs> it was only fitting. Hey, Carver Hawkeye. I went there once for a game. That's not a bad place to catch a game either. So not at all. <laughs> and as I've said, well, I, might have been salty. Well, I guess, no, I was a reporter, so you couldn't let uh, emotions get in the way of it. But I've said, I enjoy no matter where these kids go. I always love it when I hear the announcements where they've said, this is where I'm going to play. And you know, like, you know what? Good for you. Like You're taking that next step. And whether it's UConn with Paige Beckers or an NAIA school or a D3, it's like, hey, you're getting a chance to play college basketball. And I'm just glad I got to be along for the ride. And I'm glad we got to ride along with your oral history session, Kashin, and I learned a lot of things about you that I did not see coming, but I think without that, you wouldn't be you. This is very true. What you see is what you get. And I appreciate someone who's going to be direct and blunt and honest. Uh, you're, I imagine there is some tact with that, like you're not nefarious or... No, you're not going to tear someone apart or rip them to shreds or be you know, uh, cantankerous, but you're not afraid to say, hey, if you're not doing something right or hey, this is what you need to work on. I appreciate that. You got to love more than you give criticism. Right. You know what? I think you would make a good analyst if you decide to pursue that route. I know a few coaches who've I've gone back and forth with that, but yeah. we'll see where this goes. And if you get a head coaching job somewhere, I, I will be the first to congratulate you. And I know like all of the Minnesota contacts you've built over the years, they were excited to see you get that JMU job. And even a few of them were thrilled to know that I was going to be talking to you like Tanisha I Scott. That. Well, I, I like to promote it just uh, uh, not for myself. It's weird. Like I hate attention. That's my secret. So I've said <laughs> the worst thing you could do for me is throw a surprise party because I would just freeze up because I don't like it when the spotlight is on me. Right. But I like doing that because I know, like, yes, I'm promoting myself, but when I see all the likes or remarks from others who know you or other guests, like, that's why I do it, because it brings back good memories, like when Tanisha right. and Dejerne Buford, who uh, I think remembered you, and, and others who grew up knowing what kind of player you were, and I kind of wish, yeah, we didn't have all of these ways to broadcast games, so no, nope. I, I bummed. I really didn't get a chance to see you play in high school because I that's one regret I have. But <laughs> I was in college at the time you graduated. So, you know, oh, yeah, you got to start somewhere. You can't be everywhere at once. True. But 
it just, I think it speaks volumes to the fact that whenever people hear your name, they light up because they know the kind of player you are, the kind of character you are. And they know this interview was going to be hilarious. That's what they knew. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, but they did. That's what matters. But they knew uh, anybody who really knows me knows this interview was going to be entertaining. Well, it's just a reminder that even though you're miles away with your coaching duties and understandably so, because again, no two paths are alike. The people you grew up with in Minnesota still remember you. They remember you fondly and they're going to support you no matter what. Right. Even if it means you get a job at Iowa at some point and have to go against Lindsey Whalen and the Gophers, or if you end up at Ohio state, that would, that would be hilarious. Or Michigan, <laughs> or Michigan State, because you might have a different, you'd have a different uh, way to run things. So like, we're not going to beat up everyone like that. Oh, I, I, you think this interview is hilarious. I can't wait to hear some of the stories from this season with you and Samantha Perhalis on the same team. And if anyone tries to give you a hard time, it's like, all right, <laughs> we're going to settle this on the court. Because uh, I remember, well, I remember Adalia McKenzie, I had her on and she said she went up against Taylor Hill once and said, I'm never doing that again because she was too fast. Like <laughs> she wasn't ready. Adalia McKenzie. That sounds really, she's, she's going at, to, she, Illinois, Illinois. Gotcha. Miss, she was Miss Basketball. Yeah. Um, I was like, went up against Taylor Hill when, or we're just talking about like in pickup or something. Yeah, because uh, she and her, Taylor's younger sister, Jade, are best oh, friends. Listen, I'm they, trying to tell people, us old school, we different kind of breed. Yeah. Y'all, listen. <laughs> hey, and Taylor, I'll say, as a player, I covered her a few times. Never made it about herself while she was playing, but she would go we at you hard. kind of breed of player. That's all I got to say. Andrea Adams was another one. Shy yes, off the was. court, but oh, she don't mess with her on the court. She's an animal. And I bet you were the same thing. That's probably oh, yeah. why you were such a great rebounder. And, Everybody and, hated and playing distri- against me, and that's totally fine. That's how I like it. <laughs> so you wanted to be public enemy number one. Oh, you yeah. enjoyed, you love being the Listen, villain. My number one compliment is people, even my own teammates in Iowa, would be like, we would have like a summer league where we would be on like two on each different team or whatever. And they would say, I hated being on your team. Or be playing against you. No, they wanted to I be on your team. I was just happy that you were on my team for the long haul, and that's like the biggest compliment. Absolutely, you better hate. <laughs> you better hate playing me because we're not teammates right now. So <laughs> we got different jerseys on, and that's my biggest compliment. You better hate playing me. Thank you. I love that. I, I, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if Samantha, if Sammy Perhalis would have said the same thing if she hated playing against you, or if it was the other way around. Her. Her, what she says is she always loved playing against me because she knew that it was going to be a battle. Same thing, but different. Right. And I know we've been giving her a hard time, but again, you're on the same team now and you know each other. So I think we can get away with that. But I suppose, yeah, I did not know you relish being the villain. Oh, I love it. It's great. <laughs> you but didn't want to be your neck. From you didn't want to be everyone's favorite. That thing, the clock goes starts until it beeps. I'm coming for your neck. That's you were like the, So you were like a Diana Taurasi. You oh. you were somebody. You wanted to be the player everyone loved to hate. 
Listen, but, but the problem is, is though everybody loved me off the court, so they couldn't really hate me. That's what I mean, though. More like, like a like. Well, Tarazi. Oh, I hate playing against you. Like more of an irritation. Well, I felt the same way about Tarazi because I got to interview her a lot uh, mm. when I was covering the WNBA, and she is not the same person that she is on the court. Like on the court, no holds barred. You know, she's not your friend. She's coming at you, people. right? Yep. That, but I. <laughs> so what's the biggest thing I learned from this? oral history session is that you love to be the villain that probably explains everything <laughs> so is that are you going to tell your daughter that if she picks up basketball like don't be afraid to be the villain i'm going to tell her that we coming for everybody's necks once we step on the court if we not wearing the same jersey i don't care who you are <laughs> we could be friends after and you know what i bet all of those teammates you had on the day county Bulls and the black guys, including some exactly what they, I'm talking about. I'm sure Ashley loved playing with you instead of against you. In those she years. sure did. <laughs> I don't have to fight you for rebounds now. Mm -hmm. Mostly everybody is like that when they play. They're like, well, dang, about time we on the same team. Yes, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually how all of us felt at Black Eyes. Like it was like, oh, this is refreshing. About time. Like, <laughs> we, you're all sick of beating each other up by yeah, that we, point we're just tired of beating everybody up beating each other up so finally <laughs> like, we're able let's go to beat some other, other people up now it was great like it was like all right ashley i've beaten i've beaten you up enough or it's like i've had to box you out enough to get rebounds let's still get some together <laughs> or you know like, you box out i'll get them <laughs> wow Oh, man. I, I think everyone who's watching this is going to have a laugh. Like, you knew this was going to be hilarious. I wasn't sure what to expect because I don't Listen, like to put people in the everybody boxes. Everybody but... who knows me knew. Trust me. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun, or they will watch this. I know. This. I see I got some tweets already. You did? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. You, you got some. Again, I think it goes back to people remember you. No matter what happens, no, even if they break all of your records at Iowa or Benel St. Margaret's, they're going to remember you for that There's state title. There's never going to be another Kashin. There will be another Kashin, and there will never be another first state title. No. They can get more. Not. Your alma mater could get more, but you got the first one. Sure did. Well, Kashin, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know, actually, you're in recruiting shutdown week, so I guess that makes things yep. a little easier, so you don't have to worry about talking to anybody <laughs> until next week but i enjoyed this we had a lot of laughs and i think if nothing else i'm never going to get the easter story but yeah you're not afraid to be the villain so Absolutely whether that's not. as a coach as a player and i'm bring sure the stuff you've been Kashyyyk. a part of let's see you've been a part of college you've been a part of coaching assistant coach and then when i get become a head coach then you got to re-interview me again i'll keep that in mind or you know what i could see it you're uh because every college has their media departments you're gonna pull a fat i know it you're gonna pull a sneaky one on me and drop a reference on at least expected it's like hey i know somebody who could call our games <laughs> uh so if you have any of those connections yeah uh, feel free to pass my name along no i'm kidding <laughs> I could gotcha. see you though, but yeah, well, I have played a part, even though like it was at the tail end of your high school career, because I covered both your all-star yeah. games in some capacity. It and, and I, and it's like, oh, this takes me back at the old St. Thomas. 
the old Shonaker, because I think you might have known they they refurbished it years yeah, ago. They, and, and well, they're going Division One, right? They Division One actually this year. Oh, okay. Nice. They 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 went from D three to D one, uh, but they they refurbished so they renovated Shonaker long before then. But yeah. now it's a big jump, and I actually I'm excited for it because we get another D one school. So for kids that maybe don't get to Minnesota or can't play for the right. Gophers, they have another option. And, I never understood that, but. Well, I've said, you know what? That's probably the sweetest home of revenge for St. Thomas. They got kicked out because they were, quote unquote, too good to be yeah. in the Mayak. They and, were good. No, right. No, they were. But it's like, all right. I thought it would be between St. Thomas and Mankato in regards to which one of them became Division One. Well, I thought they might have gone D2 to the NSIC, but they're like, you know what? Let's take a chance and go D1. And I'm like, why not? Um, but I was saying, like, now they're going to get even more publicity as a result of being kicked out. Because uh, right. the way I see it, like, if someone is better than you, like UConn or Hopkins at the local level, it, my attitude is, okay, what do we have to do to stop them? Instead of, oh, they're too good, let's banish them to someplace else. And I know in college, there's differences in resources, there's a little more variance. But in my head, I'm going, okay, like South Carolina or Mississippi State when they upset UConn a few years ago. What do you need to do to get better? Because UConn for all those years and Benilde St. Margaret's, do you know what it was like at the top? I would like to think it would inspire other teams or players to figure out how to get there. And it might not happen overnight. But you know what? Again, it, it's a boost for St. Thomas. Right. I'm not sure what the transition will be like because this is highly unusual. You don't go from D3 to D1 normally, but I think it, well, if nothing else, it gives you another reason to visit the next time uh, somebody's on your radar, right? Yeah. Well, Kashin, if you do get a head coaching job, I'll remember what you said. And so we'll, we'll make sure to set up another interview if that happens and who knows where it would lead. But again, thanks for coming on and thanks for making these couple of hours highly entertaining. I, you knew about it. All your friends knew. Now I know. Anytime I interview you, we're going to have some laughs. Absolutely. And some, and some unfiltered storytelling. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate you for embracing both, that you can be lighthearted. You can be direct. You don't have to sugarcoat things. And you never know. There might be another Kashin Alexander watching who might go through some of those things that you did. Oh. And they might take inspiration from it. Exactly. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. And thank you for sharing part of your story with us. Kashin Alexander, you can find her on the sidelines at James Madison University starting this winter. And we'll have to see what happens, how she and Samantha Perhalis will get along. I'm sure it will, I'm sure they'll manage, but uh, we'll be good. You'll be good, of course. Well, I want to see that coach's scrimmage or that two on two. If there's a way to get that and send me the film. Uh, listen, trust me, it'll be somewhere. Well, I'd like to see it because I'd like to think the two of you still can hoop. Oh, yeah. Well, Kashin can still hoop, but for now, she will focus her efforts on guiding the next generation of hoopers at JMU. And if you want to be a guest on a future episode of this series, just contact us at Peden on Twitter or Instagram. All you need is a good story, and we're happy to share it. So until next time, thanks for watching. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mic'd Up Sports.